Dotnet Rocks episode 626 with guest Rob Connery. Recorded live Tuesday, January 11th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Talaric and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here's Carlin Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carlin Richard here for your listening pleasure for the next hour or so. Rob Connery coming up in just a minute. Hey, Richard. Hi, buddy. I got a story for you. You got a story? So the day we recorded this, which was January 4th, yeah. was the seventh anniversary of the Opportunity rover landing on Mars. No, cool. The seventh anniversary. And I would like to point out, it was warranted for 90 days, right? Like their official mission for that thing was 90 days. Wow. And it's still going. Seven years. Wow. The other cool part, uh, and if you go, easy to find, just search for Opportunity 7th Birthday. The photo that JPL put up about it is a high-resolution picture from the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter that's so precise you can see the little rover sitting on the edge of a crater. So the crater is about the size of a, of a football stadium, and there's this golf cart essentially sitting on the edge. It's just a dot with a shadow. Oh, my God. I see it. Isn't that cool? That is cool. So happy birthday opportunity. Happy birthday indeed. Well, uh, let's get right into Better Know Framework. All right, buddy, what do you got? Every once in a while, I like to go back and revisit a class that's just so fundamental and the fact that people may not know it's there. So I want to revisit the system.bit converter class. Oh. And this is the kind of thing that you don't need until you need it, but when you need it, Oh this, is for, this is where switching between imperial and metric bits, right? <laughs> Canadian. There you go. Yeah. So uh, basically, it converts base data types to an array of bytes and back and forth. So if you've got an array of bytes that you're reading from a binary file or something, you want to turn it into integers, boom, done. Nice. Or, or, or anything else. Or you want to essentially serialize an array of any type of base type. And that means... Booleans, chars, doubles, ints of all kinds, singles, unsigned ints, that kind of stuff. You are talking a know it, love it, learn it class. Yeah, and there's also an is little endian ah. field that indicates the order or endianness. Yes, the endianness. That's I a good love word. the way scientists just invent words. <laughs> what is the endianness of this integer? The endianness. That's what it says right in the docs. I'm not making it up. It's amazing that this that this was an issue in the 80s, and yeah. it's still an issue. Yeah. It never goes away. Because you're pulling data out of, off some mainframe somewhere. Right. Out of some other source that writes their bits in the other order, and you've got to change its, your endianness. Yeah. Crazy. Well, anyway, know it, learn it, love it, system up bit converter. Awesome. It's an oldie but a goodie. A Grady. Who's talking to us? Uh, Grant Stone. Well, okay. Hey, from Auckland. Carl and Richard, I would have really liked to catch up with you at TechEd New Zealand, but I couldn't go this year. While you were arriving in Auckland, I was flying to Melbourne for Worldcon, the World Science Fiction Convention, where the show I help out on, Starship Sofa, 
became the first ever podcast to win a Hugo Award. Wow. So congratulations to your team there, Grant. Nice. I've been catching up on episodes. I've been listening to your interview with Ted Neward when he mentioned that Oracle Senior Management had been talking to the Java team. A chill went down my spine. Mm. I was listening. After all, we know that Oracle had sued Google over their Dalvik VM on the Android platform. We all know this. I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on this and Ted's. From what I've seen of the patents, Oracle claims... Google infringing, it looks like they could easily apply to the .NET platform. Should mm. we all just give up and go back to writing in machine code? Yeah. Keep up the good work, Grant Stone. Well, well Grant, yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're all tuned. I would you know, say let's go back to uh, chisels and stone tablets. That's it. This, all these electrons, nothing good will come of them. Nothing good will come of electrons. You know, the dance, the patent dance is about licensing what ends up happening is that these companies actually end up making blanket agreements to share their patents and basically agree not to sue each other uh which is kind of twisted but it works and it's pretty much the only resolution we've got right now the problem is that then you have you know kids that are in the club the company you know the classic one where this is h263 the the video codec Right. There's a club, you know, Apple, Google, uh, Microsoft, they all have patents around that codec, and they're all part of the club to protect that codec. And so even though it may not be the best codec, it's the one that everybody knows the status of IP is on, so it's the one they're going to push. Yeah. And I think you're seeing exactly the same dance going on between Oracle and Google about, you know, we got to give each other some love, let's work this out, and it comes in the forms of lawsuits. Probably right. Um, whether it's actually going to influence product is a whole other question. And I think part of the conversation we were having with Ted around Oracle was really that. And we're seeing it. Oracle's exerting its forces on the the Java community and uh, MySQL and all of these products. It's it's interesting times. It is interesting. And, you know, things aren't always the way we wish they are. No. But we're shipping a mug down in New Zealand to sit beside your Hugo Award grant. So thanks very much for your email. And if you've got questions, concerns, ideas for shows, just want to say hi, send us an email. .net rocks at franklins.net. I like how you said Melbourne. 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 Melbourne? Like there's no R in it at all. <laughs> but he's Melbourne. from Auckland. Yeah, he's from Auckland. <laughs> <laughs> I would make a joke about sheep shagging, but I've been told Never not mind. to do that. <laughs> And told not to do that, so we'll just <laughs> go right ahead. And we won't make that joke. We won't make that joke. No. Insert not, inappropriate sheep joke here. I will not go there. So, oh, boy. Well, okay. it's it's time to bring on the star of our show, Rob Connery. And uh, Rob Connery, of course, recently worked at Microsoft on the ASP.NET team. He is co-founder of TechPub and the creator of Subsonic. Rob specializes in simple design forged in the doing of things rather than the philosophy of what an application should be like. He works primarily in ASP.NET MVC, but has recently transitioned much of his work into Ruby on Rails, including the TechPub site. He lives in Kauai, Hawaii, with his wife Kathy and two daughters, Madeline and Ruby. Ruby. Ruby, yep. Was Ruby named for Ruby? You'll never know. Uh. <laughs> she, she is not named for Ruby. Believe oh, it or not. That's good. Believe it or not, that's good, I yeah. think. So how are you? Doing really good. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. You know, we, we interviewed you uh, last year in Norway, but um, 
we never got the recording of that off the ground for some reason. It was an NDC panel discussion. I think they published it on the website, so it didn't seem any sense make sense to make a show out of it yeah. too. Oh, that's what we, happened. You know, we've got the video feed too up on TechPub. Um, yeah, we got all the videos from the NDC conference, including the show. Okay, it was actually really funny. Oh, that's I good. Thought it was yeah, great. I, I thought it was funny too. I just never saw it. I think we were going to um, publish it as a .NET Rocks, but we never got around to doing that. So. But uh, we'll we'll find a link to that and in, in, uh, in add it. Yeah. So um, open ID is a nightmare, is it? Oh man, um, you know, the, I I wrote that post in about mm, forty five minutes, if that. Uh, a couple of people were asking me uh, what were the changes coming with the new TechFab redesign. And uh, I said, one of the things we're going to do is move away from using OpenID as a primary login. Mm. And, uh, and they said, why, why, why? You know, of course, as a geek, they're offended that you would even say such a thing. And, mm. you know, and I just retorted on Twitter, it's a nightmare. And they said, well, well you got to blog that? I said, oh, all right. So I sat down and I just laid it out. I said everything that happened to us, um, which, you know, is really kind of a hysterical thing. If you look at it from a technical perspective, you can dissect the post I wrote, you can dissect it in any number of ways and say, oh, you did it wrong. Mm. And, you know, I'll, I'll take that. Sure. You know, but as a business owner, and this is the way that I kind of wrote the post, as kind of a, a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Business Owner, mm. where I, you know, I don't care. I really do not care. We get furious emails, or we used to, from people every day. I can't log in. Where's my order? And they would accuse us of, like, forgetting their order or whatever yeah. the heck. And finally, you just, you know, James and I were just sick of it. Because here's what it is. And someone said this on Hacker News. Open ID is a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. <laughs> I agree. It's a reaction from a technocratic standpoint. Oh, well, everybody should have a single sign-on. Because I, as a technical person, belong to about 50 websites out there. And I hate remembering my, you know, username and password. When in reality, you know, Joe user or Josephine user, let's say my wife, you know, logs into Facebook, she logs into Gmail, that's it. See you later. Yeah. Does she really need open ID? No, because she would forget. There's a disassociation, there's an abstraction of who you are. She doesn't need to know that. Right. Anyway. Well, um, you know, we've been talking about open ID for a long time and I always thought it was technically very cool, but I always brought up the point, well, you know, Joe user is very happy with going to PayPal to pay for stuff and and signing in with their username and password through HTTPS and and remembering a few passwords and uh, you know that it just works like you said that it doesn't seem to be a a problem for most people and so therefore doesn't get a lot of traction and I guess use of of Open ID is down as well uh, we were reading a blog post and I'll find a link to it because I took it off my screen Richard maybe you still have oh yeah I have it right here. Yeah, at crowdvine.com, and I'll add a add a add a thing to that where uh, Tony says nobody's using it anymore, and they're the, across their network. They uh, from the first half of two thousand eight, they saw a three to five percent usage rate of OpenID, and now it's hovering between one and two percent. And that's over a year old now, too, almost yeah. two years old. That data. So I just think it's beyond most users to to try and get OpenID to work for them. Well, it's the same reason we have the, the .NET framework when C worked just fine, right? <laughs> you know, it's funny. You bring this up in conversation to a person like Jeff Atwood, who is a very much pro-OpenID person. 
And all of a sudden, the conversation will shift from OpenID as a standard and a concept to federated single sign-on. Yeah. And, you know, don't you want users to be protected? It's really a straw man that people will throw at you. Right. Of course I do. Of course I want users to be protected. But, you know, I can't make them protect themselves. And as a matter of fact, here's the rub with OpenID. The way it's implemented today is people will always use the same password. They just will. And then Twitter all of a sudden will offer uh, open auth, let's say. So I can now sign into my favorite site using Twitter. Well, then all of a sudden Facebook offers the same thing. Well, right. I was a Gmail user and I was using that before. And now you have the exact same problem. Which account am I going to use to log in to TechPub or to this other site, right? Well, I don't know. I don't remember which open ID I used. All I know is I have an order with you. And yeah. it's, it just, it's, it's a failed concept entirely. Now, someday, you know, someday we will have a situation where, like, I can carry a token of some kind from my operating system, let's say. Like, uh, what's it, uh, the card, um, Microsoft's, um, I can't card believe I'm on Yeah, card space. Card space. Neat idea, right? Neat idea. That concept carried forward and embraced by computer manufacturers or operating system creators might be interesting because then, it, then it's right here in front of me. I know who I am and mm-hmm. other sites do as well. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, um, I, I really think it's a good idea to for people to reuse a login that they use for something they don't want to anybody else to to hack into and therefore are incentivized not to give out their passwords. You know, one of the problems with digital sales of digital media is that obviously people can copy digital media. And to prevent that, you want people to be able to log into your site while they're using the digital media so that you know that it's them that's using it. Well, to prevent abuse of that, you need to then uh, make sure that people don't share their credentials with their friends so that they can all use, you know, use the same site at the same time for their media. Uh, and in order to do that, you really need to have some sort of single sign. Like if you required your Facebook login or your Amazon login for a site like that, how, you know, how many people are going to share that? Am I going to give my Facebook password to my brother you know, or my Amazon.com uh, to my to my friends, so you know, and all of a sudden, I I see all sorts of charges on there that things that well, I didn't buy. Interestingly, that was my approach with TechPub. I mean, you described our exact scenario. We do streaming videos, and we don't want people to to share their login. Otherwise, you know, they it, it, people are pretty they they're pretty good about it. They understand that the subscription is low enough. My friend wants to watch it. Hey, go get your own. Let's right. not drive these guys out of business. But by and large, you know, where's the incentive? People will share, and what they'll do, and what James said, what they'll do is they'll just go create a bland Open ID login wherever, like my Open ID. And in fact, I can't tell you, scraping our database and looking at all the Open IDs, which we do every now and again, is like you know, uh, company X at myopenid.com. You know, you could just come out and <laughs> right. tell us that you're. You know, and like a couple of people have, have sent us videos, or not videos, pictures of them watching TechPub in their conference room, you know, mm. with like 20 people at the table. Like, right. That sort of violates our license terms. Yeah. But anyway, to get back to what you were saying, it doesn't solve the issue. Even, you're right in that a lot of people won't share their Facebook, but what if they really want to come in for free, they'll just, they'll just do a fake Facebook account, you know? Yeah, I suppose. 
If you're like me, you're using Facebook on a daily basis. You also might want more control on what you're seeing and how you're seeing it. If that's the case for you, try FaceDeck. FaceDeck is a Silverlight-based client application for Facebook, now supported by Telerik. The product was formerly known as Microsoft Client for Facebook Beta. The news about Telerik taking over the application from Microsoft was announced by Scott Guthrie at his Firestarter event keynote. FaceDeck has a nice, elegant, black finish touch. You can upload photos with a simple drag-and-drop operation from your file system to your FaceDeck. You also have instant access to your webcam. What's more, FaceDeck will save you from notifications from unwanted applications. You only see what you care for. And of course, it's free. Try it at facedeck.telerik.com. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Christmas just went by, and you know you're you're visiting your neighbors and so forth. Uh, you know all the Christmas parties in the neighborhood. Very normal behavior. And I know I bet there's nobody on this show right now that doesn't have this experience. When you go to your neighbors, eventually the conversation turns to your free tech support service for the neighborhood, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. So I've got this question about my computer. Would you mind answering it? So yeah. that my neighbor shows me his iPhone and he looks at the sent items in his iPhone. There's all these spam emails going out from his iPhone. Turns huh. out that's actually a feed from Hotmail. So we go to his Hotmail account and you can see all these sent items. Somebody's obviously hacked his Hotmail account. I says, well, it's time to ch- you need to change your password and this will stop. And he said, no, I can't change the password. He says, well, no, I'm pretty sure you can. He says, but I use the same password on every account. I'll never remember it if I change it. He says, huh. has it occurred to you that if somebody successfully hacked this email and password combination on Hotmail, they have now can access everything, everything. you use? Yeah. But, but, but if I change my password, my life will be over. He says, oh, I think your life's over already. <laughs> this is the question of, are you willing to get it back? Right. <laughs> But I, what was stunning to me was this moment of realizing he's arguing in favor of not changing his password. Yeah. Yeah. It's because it's too inconvenient. This is opens up a whole interesting aspect of OpenID in itself. And again, I bring up Jeff Atwood only because he's, he's, he blogs about this stuff so openly, which is great of him to do that. But, um, you know, he logged into a site one day and he wrote about this. And I can't remember the title of the post, but he logged into a site one day. And they stored his password in open text. And a developer read that password and thought, I wonder what the chances are of Jeff having, I forgot what provider it was, probably my open ID, that's what everybody uses. I wonder what the chances are of same password. So he goes and he logs in as Jeff. And he's, he's, now he's got Jeff's open ID. Think of the destruction. Yeah. If you've, if you've taken someone's open ID, you have effectively hacked every single one of their passwords. Everything. Single point of failure. Exactly. So that brings up an interesting scenario. The other thing that a lot of people aren't aware of, too, with OpenID is that what we're talking about here is user information. OpenID does not only allow you to log into something, it also allows you to store email and stuff about you, your gender, your age, on and on and on, right? Yeah. When when you log into a site with OpenID, you're giving them your information. Now, what these... Big providers have done, like Google, Windows Live Services, and others, they have wrapped weirdness, and I'm just going to keep it a weird voodoo around their pro- They don't want to give that stuff up. Right. right. So they won't. And, and when, when a service like us will ping, like Google, for instance, uh, we want the user's name. 
they won't give it to us. Right. Uh, same with Windows Live. Even though we pass in the right incantation of, of things, they won't give it to us. Mm. And I could go off on that. I mean, they change this stuff all the time. There is user privacy information warfare going on. Open ID is yep. right in the middle of it. Yeah. And it's just, it's just a failure all over the place. Now, the other side of this is the Facebook Twitter logon solution, which seems to be getting a lot more momentum than OpenID does. Yeah, and check it out. I was bit by that. This is a really funny thing. Um, so the big Xbox update happened, what was it, six months ago, seven months ago? You know, where the big system refresh and all these things happen, and all of a sudden Twitter appears. And, and they're like, oh, you know, you can do Twitter on Xbox, and I can't think for a reason... Why I would want to do that. Yeah, you know, whatever. But I thought, I'll just see what it looks like. I log in and uh, I give, you know, give my Twitter credentials and, you know, whatever. It's no big deal. And that's about it. A month later, I start getting spam sent to my phone as a text message. Spam in the form of news pings from MSNBC, spam from all these like Microsoft MSN related things. I don't mean it. They just thought that I wanted things from them. I shouldn't say it's spam. It's just stuff I didn't want. I want to be fair about that. Right. But I'm thinking to myself, how in the hell did they get my cell phone number? How? There's no way. I never give my cell phone number out. I didn't even want to give it to you guys because then they're going to call me all the time. But Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just wait, man. We're putting it yeah. in the show. Your ass is grass. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a link on your web, uh, on your on your show page. We've already I've already I, tweeted it. <laughs> Rad. So I go in and I, I'm looking. I'm like, the only place that I that I go to publicly that knows my cell phone number is Twitter because back in the day when you signed up for Twitter, it was all done through SMS. So right. I look at the privacy arrangement with Twitter, and it's right there. It says, if you give us any information and then use us as a login source, you, we have the right to give your information to whatever source wow. that you log in with. Wow. And I almost fell off my chair. So I was like, wait a minute. If I tell Xbox that it can log in to my account. What you're saying is you will divulge all privacy information that you have for me, including my cell phone, to Xbox and Windows Live. That is precisely what happened. Windows Live agreement says we have partners and affiliates that might use your information that you provide to us to send you updates and information, da-da-da-da. MSNBC is one of those. Bam, I get text messages on my phone. Right. But, you know, this gets back to your point about you know, Windows Live not being willing to give up that information to you because I think it makes customers angry. It sure does. They don't understand the impact that's going to have. So, yeah, and you come back to using Facebook and Twitter as a login source. Are you aware of the privacy you're giving up when you do that? So if you go to Twitter right now, Richard or, or uh, Carl, if you go to Twitter right now and there's in your profile, in your settings, you can look at apps that are allowed to access your account. All of those apps yeah. have Every bit of access to your information. Yeah. And so do their affiliates. So it's really bizarre. It's really weird when we're talking about this. It's an important bit of context to keep in mind that uh, use it as a login. But hey, you're going to be giving stuff up about yourself. I just went to the mobile tab on Twitter and deleted my phone number, by the way. Nice. Thank <laughs> Good you. for you. Thank you for that. Sure. Actually, you've quit Twitter entirely, haven't you? I did. Yeah, I did. Why? Oh, man. Uh, that's a long explanation. Um, I managed to, I don't know, you know, you know, Scott Hanselman and I did that podcast, This Developer's Life. I managed yeah. to uh, mm-hmm. capture it in the first half of it. Long story short is it's a huge distraction for me. And uh, I'm, I'm, um, I'm sacrificing way too much time 
with my family. It's a problem that I'm having. It's a personal one, right? Where you sacrifice way too much time. You get derailed by Twitter. You don't get work done. You don't go upstairs and have dinner on time with your wife and your kids. And you kind of think something's got to go. Something's got to go. And if you sit back and analyze the discourse that you normally have on Twitter, I mean, 99% of it is just garbage. And uh, I just, I don't know. Who cares? Um, But that said, uh, for things like, you know, business and, um, Things like like .NET Rocks, I'm sure, has a, a Twitter account. You got to have it for that. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'm still on Twitter, uh, but not as not as me, not a personal account. But I, I do. Um, I have, in fact, I have TweetDeck open right now. I monitor our TechBob account as well as uh, this Developer's Life uh, account. Hmm. So so it's just a matter of of it taking over your life, and you need to scale it back a little. Uh, basically, noise. It's just noise. And, you know, I find that I wasn't blogging very much, which is something I love to do, uh, because it adds, you know, you have context. And I offer challenging opinions a lot, but I found that, you know, you can't really challenge people on Twitter because, wow, do people take it personally right oh, yeah. quick, and they come back with a very abbreviated, clipped comment. And then you think they're a jerk, and you think, well, this is just ridiculous. This is not a conversational medium. This is uh, this is just people bleeding like sheep, you know. Uh, you know, give me some cheese. I, I don't like cheese. You suck because cheese is horrible. It's fat. You're going to die of a heart attack. Uh, what? <laughs> uh, that was for Scott Hanselman, by the way. <laughs> well, he's got cheese issues. I know it. <laughs> One of the first times I went to his house, uh, he showed me a big block of Tillamook. He said, if you ever want to get me a birthday present, this is what I want. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so what else is, uh, what else is stuck in your craw these days? Or maybe not. Maybe something, there's something good you want to share with us. Well, you know, there's lots of good things. I don't mean to sit here and complain so much. It's funny, you know, when I when I write those posts, you know, they do come out as challenging, but sometimes, you know, that's where that's where a lot of the the heavy writing will come from is, you know, sometimes it's negative, sometimes it's positive. Like mm-hmm. today or yesterday I wrote a post about Fight Club. I'm I'm a film buff. I'm a huge film buff and Fight Club's one of my favorite films. So, I, you know, I like doing stuff like that. And and it was a long one, but it just went off on how I didn't think Marla Singer was real. Um but we've had, I've had a lot of fun uh, professionally with TechPub. Um, we're coming out with a big corporate effort um, in the next month or two, and we're ramping up for that, which is pretty neat. We're getting a lot of pings from uh, companies because our, our catalog of videos is getting to the point where uh, we can now offer uh, some compelling training resources. And so we're going to wrap some structure around that and, uh, and then do that. So that's a real fun thing to work on. And... You know, I've been doing a lot of other contracting work. I really have been enjoying working lately. It's, it's been a lot of fun. And I have to say, in a large part, because a lot of the distraction, a lot of the noise is gone. I'm able to get my work done quicker, more efficiently. I'm able to go outside and work in the yard, spend time with my family. It's, it's good. Mm-hmm. I've got a better balance going. You know, the way I've reduced noise for my workspace is to have an isolated computer for communications. Yep. Mm-hmm. Always has worked. My, in my email, my my uh seismic client all that stuff's on a separate machine from that which i write on or do development on or anything like that yeah so that my workspace is quiet when you work richard you you're in an office though right no i'm in i'm in a home office i'm downstairs i say my my commute's either 40 feet or four thousand miles there's very little in between i'm in an office rob okay okay yeah well uh, when you work at home as, as scott hanselman and i always talk about sometimes you know when we're doing the podcast when you work at home you know, you've got the eight-foot commute through the three-inch door, three door mm. 
and it gets lonely and you start like craving some social interaction and then yeah. that's when that's when Twitter becomes evil because you think you know as opposed to having it on another machine you have it on another monitor you know and yeah. you're like oh I'll just open it up for a minute and let my brain kind of just melt and then then you know two hours pass like, oh, yeah God, I can't yep. believe we got in an argument right. Uh, I go for lunch, you know, go have your social interaction outside the, the house. Yep. Do something. Yep. I'm, I'm totally with you. But yep. when, when I was writing all the time before the podcast days and, and, you know, wrote tons of articles and books and things like that, you know, you'd go days and days without contact from your peers mm-hmm. and yep. it'll make you crazy. I, I did the same thing and I worked at home for a long time and I also wrote two books at home which were very difficult in that age of on oncoming communications in those days. But um, I had to get an office. I had to get out of the house because it was very easy for me, like you said, very easy just to uh, you get lonely or bored or whatever. You, you want to change. You go upstairs, you hang out with a fam for uh, you know half an hour, and then you're back to work. So there's no clear work time and family time. Yeah. But you know, you you get up in the morning, you go to an office, you sit down at your desk, you do your work and you go home. You know, it's it's much easier once you get that discipline. Absolutely. Yep. And and not getting a dinner on time is par for the course for me. They don't wait for <laughs> yeah. me anymore. They just eat. Well, you know what I've managed to do, which is ridiculous, but over the last year, um my wife has had to suffer through the startup syndrome again where you know, I'm I'm downstairs until eight, three nights in a row, and then I'll come upstairs, you know, early on the fourth day and, and you know, give her a day off, whatever. We've we struck a balance. But what happens to to me at least is my appetite will change. I'll end up eating lunch at two and then eating dinner at eight, but I'll just wait till my kids go to sleep. And you you just get all out of whack and you mm-hmm. kinda of, you kinda of take a look back at what you've done and what you've sacrificed mm-hmm. again. <laughs> and you think, wow, man, you know, what could I, what could I do that would cut some of this out? Yeah. And it's interesting in making the podcast that we did, it's called Disconnecting. Um, I took my recorder and my wife left. She left for a week. Um, and so I had to watch the kids, take them to school, do the whole thing. They're, they're five and eight. And, uh, and I was forced to like marshal my time, be super, super efficient, go pick them up. And I took my recorder with me every day. And one day, this was the day that broke me. I had to go pick up my one daughter from preschool. She gets out at 2. I go drive 15 minutes to my other daughter's school. She gets out at 2.45. But at 3 o'clock, they have art class for an hour. And the drive to their school is 45 minutes away. So what am I going to do, right? I'm wasting, in my mind, I'm wasting about three hours in a day. And I just, oh my God. So luckily, you know, for me, I live in Kauai and, and as I said, you know, I get to go, you know, sometimes if I want to take a break, it's kind of cool. I get to go to the beach or whatever. And I realize I'm lucky, but that's what I did. I dropped him off. I went for an hour's break. I took my recorder with me and I went down to the Kilauea Lighthouse, which is a place out here. And I just looked for whales. And before I knew it, time just melted by. And I, my, I, I slowed down like you would not believe. And when I left there, I swear I was a different person. And I just realized, I want to do this every day. Mm. And, I, and I recorded that. It was insane. Just to stop yourself in the middle of the craziness. Yeah. It, was, it was really good. Yeah, workout time's good for that, too. A sort of mm-hmm. forced hour of doing something you really need to do that's almost hard to think during. Well, you yeah. know what the problem, of course, is, is that your brain, 
and I think all three of us suffer from this. When you're working like on a startup, you're in hyper problem solving mode and you need to think very fast. You need you need the speed of light synaptic firing that you can only get from being jacked up like that and 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 sort of time traveling, you know, and compressing time and everything is a lot more or it seems a lot more urgent than it really is. And then you have the opposite experience that you're talking about, Rob, where you go out and you just look up at the stars and you know, you see the whales and stuff and you're like, "Oh, yeah, I guess I'm pretty insignificant when it comes right down to it, aren't I?" You know, you just have that perspective of, well, you know, maybe it can wait for a little bit while I just take all this in. Well, it's like, you know, my wife, the funny thing is my wife went away for a week. She went on a, on a, a meditation retreat at the, a place called the Zen Center in uh, San Francisco. And she went to a silent meditation. And, you know, when she's walking out the door, she's excited, right? This is a big break for her. And I'm just utterly astounded. How in the world could you possibly want to do that? And, <laughs> you know, and so... The interesting thing for me is we had a bit of a kind of a, I don't know, things happening. Uh, I don't know. There's a, there's a funky long word in there. Uh, you know, it happened to both of us where I'm sitting there. If I was exercising and not to counter your point, Richard, it's absolutely true. Exercise is great for you, but it doesn't necessarily calm my mind the way I'd like it to. Forced, like being forced to be quiet is, yeah. is a really weird thing. And that you have to deal directly with the things that are making the voices appear in your head or making the things, uh, you know, the, the thoughts cruise through your mind and bounce off around the inside and rattle your skull. And watching a whale or watching the waves break is very meditative. And I don't necessarily meditate. And I felt like I sort of did because the hour just screamed by. Mm. I thought, you know, if I was to go home and try and sit down and do this, there's no way it would ever happen. But, you know, you go on a walk in someplace quiet with nothing to do, it does wonders for you. It's really weird. And then, as you guys, I'm sure, are aware, when you do things like this, solutions to your problems just go, bing, oh, and, that's you know, right. pop in your head. That's right. Well, you know, if you think about it, you're, you're really talking about mind versus body. I mean, when you're, when you're programming, you, your body doesn't exist. You know what I'm saying? It, it only exists, I think it was... Mark Twain, who said, my body is just a way to get my head around from place to place. <laughs> that's right. You know, you try to leave it and live in your mind. And, and you know, that's not a very healthy thing to do. I don't, I don't it doesn't really matter um, what you're doing. But, uh, you know, after a while, your, your body says, uh, yeah, hey, remember me? You need right. to go for a walk or you need to exercise it or, or get out and, and feel something. Yeah. The dog does that for me. You've yeah. met you've met Zach. I have. He about two thirty, three o'clock in the afternoon, he'll come and sit behind my chair and he'll grumble. He won't he's not he knows not to annoy me, but he'll just grumble a little to let me know he's there, which basically reminder, get up and walk me. And uh walking the dog. Yeah. You know? That's true. I'll give you this. Can you meet all your neighbors, at least the ones that have dogs. That's true, because that, like children, they, in a way, make you force your attention to them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of neat. But I think you're getting to the point of rigidizing schedule is important. That one of the problems we have with this incredible, flexible work environment we have right now is that we have too little structure. Yeah, that's right. Because we feel we can do anything. So we do. And we tend to, yes. Yeah. 
So like, yeah, I think it's interesting to say to put appointments in to get up and and go do something else. Yeah, it's it's just as simple as you know using uh, doing something a little bit physical, and it doesn't even have to be. But I mean, like you said, standing at the ocean, you know, feeling the waves and seeing the whales and and, and experiencing the environment. Just uh, and you're right. There is there is wisdom in that. There is wisdom in the body that just sort of we forget about. And like you see, you know, it's the same idea when you go to sleep on a problem and you wake up or you dream the solution. You know what I mean? It's just like you say, the solutions to problems just come to you because you're because you're not stressing it. The other thing I started doing as well is, um, you know, if I don't if I can't work, if I feel like I can't I can't write code. And this has happened to me a lot over the last six months where I'll sit down to write and finish a problem. I I just can't do it. I've decided to not force it. Tim Ferriss, four-hour workweek guy, you know, he, he, the book is questionable. A lot of people kind of look at this thing and say, that's a bunch of garbage. But one thing he said to me, not me, one thing he said in an article was, um, let the little things go or, or embrace little failures Yeah. and and let it fail. And I'm not like that. I don't like doing that. But at the same time, I realize that they'll fail on their own anyway, and they'll take me with them, you know? And I've, it's happened to me way too many times. So what I've started doing over the last, past two weeks is if I feel like doing something else then just you better do it, get it out of the way and then, okay, go back to what it was you're doing. Such as yesterday, I didn't mean to sit down for four hours and write a fight club blog post. Um, but I, but it just all of a sudden motivated me and I thought, Oh boy, <laughs> it's one of those things I better, mm-hmm. I better just give into it. Cause I know I'm going to be thinking about it when I'm coding and I don't feel like coding right now. So, Oh gosh. All right. Anyway. Yeah. It's a monster blog post, my friend. Like, uh, what was going on in your head? <laughs> well, you know what's funny is I was watching Fight Club. Um, it's one of my favorite movies, and I'll watch it every six months or so just for fun. But I was watching it one day, and, I, and it just hit me. One of the scenes with Marla Singer, it was so symbolic. It was just wrapped in so much. Yeah. And she is so in his psyche in the very beginning, like, she was his power animal, if you remember one of the scenes where she's like, slide, you know, and he's like, what the hell are you doing here? And then he coughs up smoke. I mean, I was like, that is such heavy symbolism. Why has no, just because the big reveal wasn't made at the very end where he realizes Marla doesn't exist, doesn't mean that she doesn't. And right. as a matter of fact, all throughout the movie, I and mean, the movie is just one big uh, messing with your mind kind of deal, with, you know, splices of things put in. In fact, that's part of the movie. This is what Tyler used to do insert little clips of, of male organs and all this other stuff. And that happens in the movie. So it's like a little bit of like fake reality stuff. But it occurred to me as I was watching it one day, Marla does not exist. And when you watch it and you think that, and you think, whoa, I've never even taken myself to that level with this movie. But it's fun. You know, and you get all these reasons why she didn't exist. So that was the thing. I've been meaning to write this post for months. Um, finally just came out of me. <laughs> <laughs> just one and you know I'm with you fight clubs one of those when when uh, college professors want to help students understand the 20th century this will be a reference film oh absolutely yeah it is a uh, Chuck Palahniuk is just too brutal just too honest and it, it's painful I don't know if I've read a couple of his books I never read fight club but I read a couple other ones and it is just like clawing your way across broken glass to get through those books. It is self-inflicted pain. You're <laughs> just like, oh, oh boy, Diary is the last one I read. And that was, oh my gosh, the first first 10 pages are really hard to get through. It's, it's, ugh. 
I think one of the lines in it that just struck me is it opens up with this person staring in the mirror at the lines in the face, and they talk about the anatomy and the liver spots and the fat deposits and the sagging skin over the years, the lines around the eyes, all the imperfections of the, of the face, and it's the result of, of your life. And the line that just got me was, this is what you think is best. And it's like, oh, my <laughs> God, ouch. Oh, no. Oh, man, it's Chuck Lanyak. The guy is a mental freak. But it is a, you know, we are the sum of our experiences kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and staring in the mirror and looking at your haircut, your reflection, everything about you, that is you. That is everything that you have decided that you want to do with yourself. And it's, right. Yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> Wow, this might be a self-worth issue more, Rob. Yeah, I know, I know. Isn't that kind of funny? I shouldn't say I don't like it. I'm, I'm, I'm turning 43 in, in, in a week, so I'm reflecting on like, whoa, and my wife just pulled out a, a bo- bunch of boxes of pictures. I mean, you know, you look at those and you think, whoa, I was that thin, or I was, you know, I had that much hair. And so, <laughs> you know, I was reading diary at the same time all this was happening. And, and so, you know, it's, it's hard not to kind of reflect on your age and what you see in the mirror. I got a little more gray than I used to, a lot more gray, actually. Wow, okay. I guess I'm getting older. Guess that happens you know, I used to explain to my kids each gray hair was a certain event. You see this cluster over here? This is you learning to ride a bike. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, this one over here is when you discovered you could climb trees. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. My, whole, my whole white beard is due to the divorce, I'm sure. There you go. Yeah, it wasn't white before. At Franklin's Net right now, you can get a DVD with over 11 hours of Billy Hollis on Silverlight 4 or 14 hours of Sahil Malik on SharePoint 2010, each for only $6.95. Order online at www.franklins.net. Are you looking to change jobs? Infusion Development has offices in New York City, Toronto, London, Dubai, and Poland. Infusion has hired a whole handful of Happy.net Rocks listeners. Contact me for an introduction at carl at franklins.net. See, you know, Carl, I was thinking about you when, um, when I was going through this whole uh, deleting Twitter and doing something else kind of stuff, because my wife kept saying, um, you know, you should, you should pick up the guitar again. And I was really getting into doing slack key hmm. um, a couple years back, yeah. and I actually got pretty good at it for a bit. Um, and the, the interesting thing about slack key is you play it better when you slow it down. Because yeah. it's based on blues riffs and other things. But if you slow it down, the slower you go, the better it sounds. But it's almost impossible to do, you know? Mm. So anyway, I thought about you, and I was like, God, you know, and I told my wife, like, Carl's got this amazing recording setup, you know? And, and oh, there's this video where he recorded himself singing a Steely Dan song. Yeah. And I was like, wow, what a great way, I mean, to, to kind of go back to the meditation thing. And music right. is meditation. Oh, totally. You, it's my religion, you, actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I'm I'm envious. I guess is what I'm trying to say. That's that's a really cool thing to to have. It it is a really cool thing, and and you don't necessarily have to be a um a good musician to to get a benefit from from musical instruments. And next time you're in a near a piano store, just go into a piano store where they have a nice, and I don't mean a little spinet piano. Go sit down at a big grand piano, and just play a chord or play a couple of notes in an octave, like in the lower register. And just sit there and let that wash over you for a little bit. If you've never done that before, that's an amazing, an amazing experience. Yeah. And if you have a if you have a guitar, which I know a lot of folks do at home, this is one of the cool things about Slacky that I learned when I was learning it, is that the tuning is um, 
carol patch tuning. It's D, starting from the, the top string, or the sixth string, uh, on the way down, it's D, G, D, G, B, D. Mm. So if you have a tuner, tune it to that, but it all plays, I believe, in the chord of D. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, but the way the guys used to play the slack key is that the, the sixth string is, is the bass, and you just got to keep yeah. a, a bass at that. But the rest of it you make up, mm-hmm. and you can just, because it all goes together. But they only play with their two fingers, right? They only yeah. play, oh, I'm sorry, they, they, um, they pick with one finger, and then they, they fret with one finger. Mm. And it's, a, it's amazing what these guys do, but the whole idea is when you play it slow, you can plink anything. You can like, it just sounds like you're in Hawaii, you know, and you can do yeah, all yeah. kinds of fun stuff. And if you yeah. enjoy it, you can get in the vamps and the riffs that they do. And it's really neat. That's great. So are you going to, are you going to keep playing? Yes. I've got my guitar sitting next to me, staring at me. It's kind of like reminding me, it's growling at me. I got to make it. You know, Richard's dog I had the opposite problem. Um, when I, wrote my first book I got a nice advance and I of course went out and bought some recording equipment with it (laughs) and uh and I set it up and I set it there in the house in the room that I wrote in and I didn't touch it because I knew that I could get totally lost in it you know and I needed to finish the book so I guess uh, I have the opposite problem the stuff calls to me and it would be so easy just to just to escape into it you know but uh on the other hand, the breaks, structure breaks are important. I was just thinking oh, about, yes. I was looking through my Outlook calendar and realizing how many structure breaks I put into my Outlook calendar now. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to go, it's like, why not schedule your guitar practice just oh, so it oh. makes you stop and go play for a while? That's why, you know, there, that there's an intention to why we have a joke every 15 minutes on .NET Rocks. <laughs> <laughs> it's to give your brain a break, man. That's there you true. Go. Think about well, you something else. Been- What's interesting, Carl, just really quickly, to, to, that you're afraid that you would get lost in the music. Um, I'm a home brewer, and, and, and I, I'm actually quite a passionate home brewer to the point where um, this summer I think I'm going to go apprentice at a brewery and, and try and like, figure out what it's going to take to become a brewmaster. Um, same thing. If I go in the garage and I start tinkering with my brewing equipment and you know, I have yeah. a couple of recipes in the fridge and I just, it's, it'll, I'll start brewing. Yeah, and, I, and it's it's weird because it, the brewing process itself is not exactly like uh, I don't know what the word to be. It's not like exciting, but yeah. it's so it is such the perfect cross of science and tinkering. Yeah, and and alchemy, of course you get alchemy, right? And when you're done, you get to drink it, mm-hmm. and your friends look at you in amazement as if they can't believe that you could actually make beer. Mm. Uh, That's good. Gosh, you know, it's funny you bring up that you could get lost in it because absolutely. I, I'm like right now, I'm sitting over here in my house and I'm thinking, I could go brew a batch and not put it into the day right now. Well, Ooh. you know, I think, you know, for for a lot of people, I think the, the answer is to get lost in it and, you know, and schedule some time to do that. I, like I said, I have so much, I have so many distractions that I have to temper them. But um, I, I think that, I think that the, the problem most people have is that they just don't want to take the time to to do anything and and I I think that you absolutely it, in order to get through this life at the end of your life and die happy I honestly think you have to spend a significant amount of time just following your happiness following your bliss and figuring out what it is that really makes you happy and peaceful and all that thing and do it and find a place whether it's a room or a closet, or you know, um, a, a place outside where you can go on a regular basis and and just be in that place. 
Right on, Brother Carl. Can yeah. I get an amen? Yes, Amen. <laughs> follow, your, follow your dreams. <laughs> that was well said. No, it's true. Nice it true. You know, I'll throw one more schedule thing in here. I know I've recommended this a bunch of times. Schedule deliveries of flowers to your wife randomly. Yes, that's a very, very good thing. <laughs> Ten a year, random dates, nowhere near any special event. I got a story for you. I wrote a little program for that. It's good for you. I got a story for you. So my brother texted me one night, and he says, hey, can we work on the album tonight? And I said, sure. So he he's about a half hour late, and he comes in, and he says, you know, I almost didn't make it out the door. And I said, why? He goes, oh, I got some grief. And and I said, why? He says, well, he's been sick. he'd been sick in bed for like two days. And the first time he pokes his head up and he feels better, he's out the door and going to go play some music with his brother, right? So he got a little grief. Mm-hmm. So... We we had to go we had to go get something and he had to go back home and I said let's stop off at the grocery store it's open and get some flowers for your wife he's like he looks at me like I'm crazy <laughs> and then uh, he says yeah that's a good idea so he gets some flowers and and we're at check you know the the checkout line at the florist part of Stop and Shop the supermarket here there's a little card cards there you know one of them says you know i love you just and i pull it out and he goes now don't go crazy <laughs> <laughs> there's the line there's the line i'll That's go along right. with your plan up to a point brother carl <laughs> Ew, man. That's good. Don't go crazy now let's man. not go crazy here <laughs> we gotta keep it believable of course yeah, i mean not that you not that you would never say such a thing but you know, you get a box of chocolates and a card and, you know, some flowers. It's just yeah, a little over the top. I think that most geeks don't appreciate the power of flowers. The real reason to send flowers to your wife, when especially if she works, is the number of other men's lives you ruin every time you do that. <laughs> like, it's very rewarding to know, I just screwed up like six guys' days and they have no idea why. Yeah, that's Their right. wives are going to come home and they're going to look at them and go, you piece of crap. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. That's well, great. you know, people need to know that their work is appreciated. There you End go. of story. <laughs> yep, that's what it comes down to. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this meditative angle now, Rob. Like, because brewing is meditation. It's enforced patience. You cannot rush beer. Yep, absolutely. You can't. Uh, I'm obsessed with barbecue. You can't rush barbecue. There's nothing you no can way. do. It takes that long, and that's how long it takes. You're exactly right. You know, and it's funny, if you take some of those habits and put it on the software practice, you'd probably make really good software. But think about that. You know, like Carl, you mentioned it at the beginning, you know, we're go, 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 go. The fact that we choose uh, hobbies that make us slow down is pretty interesting. I mean, Yeah. yeah. And like brewing, I... You get me talking about brewing and the history of brewing and what it means to Western civilization, you know, a good beer. And it, ah, it's just, you know, to me, it's, it's as important as music, which I know Carl's going to say, sacrilege. No, no, no. <laughs> Listen, it's yeah. your, it's your, it's the thing that turns you on. End of story. Uh, no, look, be, there would be no industrial revolution without beer. True. Yeah. It was oh, absolutely you, essential. I, I got to plug this too. Um, one of the things that just, me on. I watched this documentary the other night um, called uh, Blood into Wine, and it was Maynard James Keenan from the Tool or from the band Tool, one of my favorite bands. 
he just decided to move to Arizona and start making wine. You know, he still does the music stuff, but it was so weird to see him in this setting. He's very forthcoming. He's wearing blue jeans and a cowboy hat and all dusty. He's clipping his vines and he's doing his thing. But then you see him on stage and the guy is a madman, death metal, crazy tool stuff, right? Right. And, 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 but the passion in his music is utterly mirrored by the quiet intensity that he makes his wine. Mm. And, and it's, you know, people wrote him off like, oh, you're just some eccentric rock star guy who's going to go and, you know, lose himself in this alternate career. But the truth of it was, he makes really good wine, and it's won a bunch of awards, and it's actually put Arizona on the map as, uh, as a wine destination. Wow. And all these wine critics are just like, oh, whatever, Arizona. But, they, but these vintners in, in, uh, in Arizona are causing a revolution right now, much like Napa did way back, you know, back in the day when, when all of a sudden California wines were coming on. It's a very interesting documentary. I highly recommend it. Arizona has that warm, dry kind of uh, mm-hmm. atmosphere that makes grapes uh, have to work to retain their flavor, and they get very potent. As exactly. A, yeah. I can see and, that. And that's what they say about his wine. It is like a punch in the face, but it's yeah. wonderful. Like, you know. But interesting in different ways to har- like, harness passion frenetically and harness passion patiently but it's the same basic goal mm-hmm. yeah, yeah absolutely well i think uh other than talking about oprah there's nothing that we have, <laughs> <laughs> have not covered on this show so i, I appreciate this it was a it was a nice uh a diversion and, and of course you know the stuff that we're talking about open id and and all that is is really important to know i think for people to mm-hmm. understand the state of this stuff and and things that are overly complex are not always good. And that's the so, story. Yeah, and I guess the moral more, uh, the moral for me is, you know, if you're going to solve a problem, make sure it exists. And I yeah. think as, as developers, mm. we will extrapolate what we're doing off into the future and think, oh, we're, this is going to be a problem. Mm. Eh, you know, you're sure of that? Yeah. Yeah, really hard. It's true. And in this, you know, day and age when everybody's trying to carve out a niche, there's going to be invented markets and invented problems. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Well, Rob, thank you very much. You're welcome. And I should have mentioned that I am actually a horrible podcast guest. I, I tend to derail podcasts constantly, so I hope I didn't derail this too much. Oh, uh, no, it's all about you. Yeah, we were, we were heading for your derailment. Woo-hoo. We've been warned. Yeah, we were prepared. That's what exactly what we were thinking. Let's go get derailed. In fact, I call the show that. I got derailed with Rob Conway. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a good one. I like it. There you go. Awesome. Well, we'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you again. And thanks to you. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. 
For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the end.